Biscowin. Bis Biscowin. Biscowin. That's I just heard her say Biscowin. Biscowin. Okay. Perfect. This is the beginning for the show we need. Biscowin. Biscowin. You know I'm gonna screw that up in the next 45 seconds, right? Oh yes. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we share the tools to improve your finances, redo shows, and unfold the roadmap to financial independence. (laughs) It's fitting that we're talking about risk. Do we now have to talk about the risk of recording an episode, losing the episode, and then having to record it again? 100%. I now have the badge of like uh, the safekeeping of our recorded episodes as a failure. Worst of all, we recorded the last one in person. Yeah. And now we're, and now we're on our phones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and to top it all off, this, which is super exciting still, yes. is a sponsored episode, which ironically should make this the best episode ever because we've actually had a rehearsal. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> the first recording, we were together, and then new COVID <laughs> rules came in, and now we cannot be together. Anyway, that, so now you know, we, we did, I did fail epically and lost our initial recording of this. But that does not change what you're going to hear tonight because it's still going to be even better than the first time. Right. Without all the beer exploding in the accountant's face. Yeah. So, oh, that was explodey episode. It was, it, it was exploding beer episode. It was fantastic. Right. But anyway, oh, let's, man. let's not dwell on the past okay. right. we're, all, we're all about moving forward. So first of all, a uh, huge thank you to Judy. And <laughs> I practice how to say this too. <laughs> I told you, 45 Biscowin. Biscowin. The Biscowin Inn in lovely Lunenburg, Nova Scotia has sponsored this episode. And the FI Garage thanks you profusely for that. And even better is Judy and I sat down and had a chance to have a little chat. So you're going to hear that in just a minute when we get through our little beer discussion here. Yeah. Uh, yeah? What? Go ahead. Yeah, that, it's exciting. I'm excited. Now, yeah. the thing is, is I drank the last of the beers we drank on the original episode, but I still have the can. Perfect. Perfect. So you can okay. still read the blurb. I, I did want to get this shout out because we did choose this beer because, uh, well, first I was sold because it had a helicopter on it and it's Sea King IPA from Black Hops Brewing in Victoria. And the Sea King was both used for civilian and military service. And I know they have them in Nova Scotia and I couldn't find any Nova Scotia beer at the time. So uh, Black Hops Brewing was started in 2018 by military veteran Graham Haffey as a way of contract brewing beer, selling it to raise money for military and first responders, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder programs. So it's a non type of a nonprofit type beer. So we're always happy to support that. We drank the beer. We... It exploded. It wasn't our favorite. It wasn't our favorite, but uh, it did explode in my face. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. More more noteworthy for this particular new episode is I went on a beer hunt today, like a scavenger hunt. And seriously, there's so many good beer stores here in Victoria, but it's all like West Coast stuff. It's really hard to find. We were trying to find a, a beer for a future episode, and I was—I just happened to be in there looking, and I found something from Two Crows Brewing, Halifax, Nova Scotia. So there you go, Judy. I got a Halifax beer. Oh, wow. Nice work. Yeah. I, sorry, guys. We're all locked down. I wasn't able to deliver you guys one, but this is the Fantasity 
dry hopped wit beer. It doesn't have a blur, but it says bright, citrusy, herbal, and refreshing. And I also heard um, from my lovely partner that the Mrs. Money Mechanic has actually been to Two Crows Brewing when she was doing work previously in 2018 in Nova Scotia. And so the about us for Two Crows Brewing is that it's the brainchild of husband and wife duo Mark and Kelly. Going to destroy their last name. Husniak? Husnink? You're doing really well with pronunciation so far tonight. <laughs> Listen, I got through the French episode with Norbert. So yeah, I, I was going to say, <laughs> at least he's not speaking French. Uh, and brewer Jeremy Taylor. We brew modern beers with the utmost care and focus on quality above all else. Our aim is to get people thinking about craftsmanship, where their beer is coming from, and the various characteristics that make beer great. We aim to make the best contribution to the local and global beer screen scene. Oh, they spelled scene wrong. <laughs> there you go. Two crows. Uh, some yeah. editing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> contribution um, to the local and global beer scene that we possibly can. Now, do you want to tell our listeners who the original beers Judy wanted us to drink? Yeah, I'll, I'll give a shout out for her. Uh, she asked us to drink uh, salt box. Where mm-hmm. in Mahone Bay, I think it is. I've actually been there on my way from Lunenburg to Halifax and stopped in at the garage, old garage, I guess, for a beer. And she said if we couldn't find that, there was another brewery, but also Ironworks Distillery. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess also from Lunenburg. Uh, but they only, it looks like on the website, they only ship as far west as Alberta. So Not if you've got the uh, domestic beer tube traveling across the country. True. That's, True. Yeah, that that's really how we got to start sourcing some further abroad beers. <laughs> this this is working. We're all locked down, but we want to have a beer with our friends, so we put them in a beer tube and we send them off. And you send <laughs> them around the country. <laughs> you can have a Zoom call. You can be on the FI ground <laughs> and have a beer with us. <laughs> so I cracked into this wit beer. It's got some nose to it. It is dry hops. It's um, yeah. I'm looking forward to trying it. So why don't we uh, have a quick word with Judy before we carry on with the episode? That sounds good. Welcome to the FA Garage, Judy. Nice to have you on the show. Thank you, Money Mechanic. It's great to be here. Now, first of all, thanks for sponsoring this episode. And tell us why you did. Um, I have been so enjoying your podcast. And I look forward to it every week. And I just want to sponsor you guys and, and uh, make sure that you keep on giving what you're given. That's not the answer I was expecting, but thank oh, you very oh, much. Oh, okay. <laughs> I meant the inn. I mean, the real oh, reason, the, the inn. Right. <laughs> I want to sell my inn. That's it. Yes. No, I want to tell everybody to come visit us here in Nova Scotia. And I want to tell everybody that this beautiful Buscowan Inn in, in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, has been a wonderful part of uh, my husband and I's spy journey. And, uh, and that it can be part of your pie journey too. I love it. I love it. And I did the. I watched the video that you had done with the fly through um, promotional <gasps> video. Isn't that great? It is amazing, and that place is absolutely beautiful. I, I was so upset because I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I should have cleaned beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> it looked pretty clean to me. <laughs> it was so well done and uh, Justin Farrow was the guy that did it and he was just amazing he he really uh captured it well you one of the things I noticed too inside is it's got a very I guess I'm no expert but it looks like sort of Victorian style is that am I correct in assuming that 
Yes, yes. So it, it's a Victorian inn. It has 17 rooms. It was built as a wedding present to a daughter to, uh, I think she must have been pretty ugly because this <laughs> inn is so beautiful that he could not say no. But <laughs> Right, right. But the, the story goes that he gambled the inn away. And uh, so she returned to the inn as soon as she could when she died. And is this your resident um, ghost? Is that what we want to use? Yes. Oh, Edna. cool. Okay, okay. She's wonderful, though. She's very, she likes to drink wine. She usually shows up when people are drinking. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> Fit right in on the FI garage. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't asked her whether she likes craft beer or not. Maybe I'll have a night with her. Speaking, speaking of craft beer, you suggested that we should have Saltbox or The Church, which we did look for and we couldn't find, and I refused to have Alexander Keats as my Nova Scotia beer. So once once the beer tube is back in my possession, we'll do a little beer exchange with you in Nova Scotia, and that'll be awesome. Awesome. That'll be, that'll be a future you episode. You have to try it. Saltbox is amazing. Uh, None on the Run used to be my favorite, but now I'm more into the dynamite, but uh, it is... So, so well done. They have a really great brewery in Mahone Bay, and uh, they're starting to build something here in Lunenburg, and the rumor is it's going to be a salt box. Right on, right on. Well, I still, it's one of the provinces I have not visited, so once we're all allowed to move around across Canada again, I'd love to come out there. We do have some other friends in Nova Scotia, and I feel like it's a part of Canada I'm really missing out on. It, it really is beautiful. I mean, I... My Ontario friends all think that it's cold and, and horrible. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. They group us in with New Brunswick and, uh, and Newfoundland, and they think that it's all East Coast is cold. But right on the water, it's so gorgeous. Our beaches are beautiful. And uh, I feel so at home here. I, I too am I'm drawn to the ocean. I don't think I could live very far away from it. I've always lived on an island, so I'd, I'd need to be uh, very close. And speaking of islands, we have another com commonality, common bond. We both lived in Bermuda as our sort of work away and uh, I don't know if you want to call it arbitrage, but our part of our five journeys was that. Yes, I loved Bermuda. It was uh, wonderful, wonderful. It was where I met my husband. Oh, I didn't realize you'd met there too, right on. Yeah, you went there as accountants, and there's lots of jobs in Bermuda because it's a you know tax-free or tax haven, but a lot of finance is based there. Exactly. It's really close to North America. Most people think it's in the Caribbean, which it's not, actually. It's sort of due east from the Carolinas in the middle of Yeah, the it's only semi-tropical, so a lot of people still come in December and January thinking it to be hot weather, but... Uh, Nobody's swimming. But None of the locals are swimming, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, we always, we always swam on Christmas Day. That was the tradition, right? We were talking about that the other day, how we had to put on our Santa hats and get our champagne and orange juice out to the beach and yeah. and uh, do our, our Christmas dip. So give us a little bit of a rundown on your FI journey because you're selling the inn. My understanding is, well, I kind of liked it in your little uh, your email to us. You said, fire is financial independence, rest easy. That's a new one. That's pretty good. I like it. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I think that too many people have bad or, or different connotations of retiring. And uh, I just liked, even from the, an early, early age, I was always about 
just making sure that I had enough money to support myself and no one helped to support me. I, I was all independent Judy that didn't need a man that didn't need anyone supporting her. I, I remember as about a 19 year old and I was touring a house. I used to love touring houses and the real estate agent said, Oh, well, maybe one day uh, a prince will come and, and buy this house for you. And I'm like, screw you. I want to buy this house myself. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to have nothing to do with any prince buying it for me. But uh, I, I think that it was drilled into my head that uh, to get a good job and to support yourself and make sure that you have money in the bank. So it was always a goal to be financially secure by an early age. It's a fantastic goal to have. We're all on that path now. Yeah. And, and, and then when I found the fire journey or, or the, the, the group of people, I'm like, oh my gosh, all these people think like me. This is wonderful. It was so, it was only because I was doing a course on um, tax. I, I was doing taxes for teens and teaching teenagers how to do their taxes. And I was trying to like sum up how they should be contributing to their RESP and their RSPs and, and stuff like that. And I was Googling a lot and I came across um, Choose Up Bike and, uh, and started listening to them. And it was like, wow, I didn't realize this is a thing. And uh, it was wonderful. And then to find Canadian content was just really, really great. And uh, yeah, so what was the question? <laughs> 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 no, that's, that's, that's fantastic because it kind of went right along the lines that I was going for was your own sort of FI journey and how you've, you just mentioned how you kind of connected into it to, in Canada. And you, ha you do have an, an accountant background, which helps for your spreadsheeting and tracking all the rest of it. And you've been innkeepers for eight years now. What's the, you, I also saw that you mentioned you do money classes. What does that look like? What do you get involved in there? Yeah, well, I had some uh, teenagers uh, working for me here at the inn, and they, I said, you know, listen, you're going to have to do your tax return, and and they looked at me blankly, and I said, <laughs> right. So we're going to do this course, and I'm going to teach you and your friends, bring them along, and we're going to learn how to do your taxes together, and then I also threw in a, a spreadsheet that showed them how they could be a millionaire in the next 20 years and I just like showed them that even if they work minimum wage if they put 50% away they could like become millionaire and and how that now they have no responsibilities they should just be shoveling into their RSPs before because they're too young for TFSAs and uh, and then also explain the RESPs to them and they went home and they talked to their moms and said mom we got we got to do this and, and uh, all the mothers were on the phone going judy you have to teach us this <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so so then i started a five-week class at uh, a coffee and money and and we just uh i taught the mothers and then then i heard someone say well no you got to teach the husbands and so i started this couples class and 
I, I'm just finishing up my couples class now. So I'm having so much fun with it. And, you know, just getting the conversation started about money and people talking is so important because people need to know that we're all in the same boat and we're all trying to make ends meet and, and be the best we can be. And, and, uh, yeah. And design the life we want to live, right? That's the whole part of the uh, FI exactly. journey. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's, and, that's and, very cool. And listen to uh, FI Garage more and, and get the <laughs> and everything. Yeah. Well, you can, uh, you can start the East Coast chapter. We'll branch out. There you go. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's really one of the reasons why I started Explorify Canada was to have these conversations all the way across Canada with people like yourself that have an interesting story that do want to share. And we really all want the financial education and the discussion to be a common topic that's not taboo anymore. Excellent. Exactly. And, and to get young people excited about it and, and, and make sure that everybody is secure because pensions and, and your employer working, looking out for you just isn't happening anymore. So. Exactly. Now, one more question for you is Nova Scotia from a geographic arbitrage point of view, would somebody coming from a higher cost of living center, is it a good move? Do you think, do you think property is still a good value there? The cost of living, could you find, you know, there's lots of people, you know, I don't want to just pick on Toronto, but Vancouver is maybe a little far to go to the other coast, but I have seen people say they're going to move to the Maritimes. Do you think the geo arbitrage to Nova Scotia makes sense? Or is it more for lifestyle? I do. I do. I, I think that, you know, if you've got a condo in, in downtown Toronto or in Vancouver, I don't know, just for me, I'd rather live on the water and, and have a couple of acres and, and have a, a nice house than be in. But I, I, I think our school system is awesome. I think that, uh, it, you know, some things are more expensive, like uh, heating your home and stuff. But, you know, I love a raging fire. I love cutting our own wood and stuff. It, it, it's just a different lifestyle than living in a condo and or living with neighbors so close to you and, and stuff. Um, it's quality of life. It's a slowdown. It's raising your children so that you're around to raise them. And um, I so enjoy being here in Nova Scotia. I, I really, really feel at home here. The people are wonderful. And I think that Toronto and Vancouver were awesome when I was not a mom. But now being a mom, I want more time. I want my boys to be able to be safe and be able to play until dark and then come home and uh, yeah. uh, have the, the childhood I had growing up. That's fantastic. Well, congrats on financial independence. Rest easy. That's awesome. Good for you guys for being FI. And before we go, just run us down on the in again, where people can find you, the website. Do you have any social media? Go ahead. Yeah. So www.viscowan.ca uh, is our website for the Viscowan Inn. But I'm at uh, uh, I'm on Instagram the most. Uh, it's uh, richness within with underscore between the so richness underscore with underscore in and uh, and check me out. And uh, yeah, and you can find the in for sale on MLS. 
you never know. This might be somebody's dream for fire is moving out to Nova Scotia and owning a little inn and uh, running that as their, their, where they call that the um, victory lap retirement, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. No. And uh, it's been a blast and she's been really, really good to us. And we only hope to pass it on to an awesome couple or, or a person that wants to enjoy life a little bit more. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for the sponsorship and thanks for being on the show. Okay. Look forward to having a beer with you in person one of these days when I'm out that way. Sounds fabulous. And if we still have the inn, you have a place to stay. Most appreciated. Thanks, Judy. Excellent. Thanks, Funny Mechanic. Man, that place sounds pretty incredible. I watched the, the video and you guys probably had a look at it too. And I could definitely see myself sitting having a pint of church or salt box beer out in Lunenburg because it looks pretty amazing. It does look very nice. That was the other brewery, Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Church. I don't know if it was the church or church brewery. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah. But uh, when next time we'll I'm in Nova Scotia and we're out there. Yeah. Hey, like I, you know, we're going to get the FI Motorhome. FI Garage Motorhome is yeah. going to do a cross-country trip. We're recording in your town soon. It's good. Soon, what, we're like 2022 when we all get figured out here, we're allowed to leave home or what? Yeah, maybe. Well, if we quarantine in an RV, that should be fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just have speakers on the top. <laughs> we're like, no, 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 we're, we're parked. Somebody will, like, we'll have to give the keys away so we're not like in care and control of the vehicle. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, those, those are wishful thinking because I know we're all wishful thinking for any kind of travel, I guess. But here we are, and risk is the topic tonight. Let's dive into it, boys. We talked a lot about how to analyze an investment on the last episode, and one of the things that we kind of led into a few times was that the riskiness or your risk profile need to be considered in part of that investment analysis. Because just because you look at something and it looks great, it doesn't mean it's suitable for you. No, that is, uh, that is very true. And a lot of people go chasing yield, which normally comes with a lot more risk and don't necessarily realize that they are getting something that is a whole lot more risky. Well, exactly. And that is why your return appears bigger on the surface, but your position for loss can also be much greater. And your expected return is is probably less than the uh, advertised return. Yes, this is also very true. Well, and there's things you got to take into account, right? We talked about that when we were talking about analyzing investments because you know, maybe there's a cost of holding that investment, maybe, you know, because you borrowed money or you're leveraged. Maybe there's a cost of that investment because it's property and you need to do CapEx or cover uh, vacant months, things like that, right? So these are all part of the risk equation that we need to try and figure out. And honestly, I don't think any of us are really that good at deciding what kind of risk we're comfortable with. And my personal experience has been that the more educated I get about any investment, the more I can qualify, like quantify the risk and feel more comfortable about it. But how do you get to that place, right? Well, and I think it's important to like, a lot of people will say, oh, I'm comfortable with that risk until things go wrong. And then it turns out that they're not comfortable with that risk. It's kind of like that Mike Tyson saying, like everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, true story, right? True story. I think we've all been punched in the face a few times, uh, literally and figuratively. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not that (laughs) enjoyable, is it? (laughs) No, no, not so much. Uh, One of the things that I was thinking about from a 
risk point of view, and this is not directly related to risk in it itself, but the attempt by, uh, I don't want to generalize too much here, but whether it's your bank or your advisor or whoever it is that uh, proposes to give you investment knowledge or advice, is the uh, know your client questionnaire, right? Which is supposed to be able to determine your risk level when it comes to, let's let's just start off with broad strokes here talking about everybody's favorite index portfolios. And we can even keep it simple and say there's just using our favorite Vanguard funds because we can actually name them. You listen to lots of other shows, not, not shows, I'm not picking on shows, but they say stock ABC or XYZ. We can actually use a name and that still doesn't mean anything because this is our opinion only. <laughs> Entertainment right? purposes only. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you could you could choose uh, you know Vanguard's all in one V or VCNS right conservative uh, V Bal or V Grow right the three different levels. So yeah, they they have three different risk associations but, with. But them. He, here's the yeah, thing. But, but no, not, come on, what? Well, they have three different risk amounts, but really it's just the bond allocation. Well, VGrow has 20%, VBAL has, what is it, 40%? 50. No, it's 50. 50, and V Conservative is like 60%. Third, yeah, there's something like that, yeah. Well, let's not get into the numbers. That's irrelevant. But my, my, my point what was going to be is the whole know your client form, which it is important, and I understand why it's there, because it protects the industry and everybody as a whole. To cover your ass. Form. It's a cover your ass form, yeah, a, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. But, but basically, my point is, is if you're a very inexperienced investor or if you're a young investor and i remember being that person because i was the one that filled out the kyc for tangerine funds when i first started and of course i ended up in the conservative fund the point that i'm i guess that i'm trying to get out from our discussion about risk is is that the correct assumption from that you know very boilerplate set of questions that if i'm 25 and i have a ton of life capital ahead of me should I be in the most conservative fund? Because naturally I answer the questions that I don't want to lose money because I'm not educated in long-term investing. So the other thing is uh, know your client form attributes stock holdings to risk. Exactly. When really a high stock allocation just means your volatility is high, not necessarily your risk. You stole my point. That was going to be my entire argument is that the, the form actually doesn't have anything to do with risk. It has with how much volatility you're willing to tolerate, which is not in any way, shape, or form the same thing as risk. I told you this would be better the second time we did it. Well, I, yeah, I was going to say he was stealing. I, he says I stole his idea, but he was just stealing my idea from the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you both make a valid point, and I, I hate the shows where we always agree all the time, but you, you kind of know where I'm going with this this whole... If you hate the shows where we all agree all the time, don't erase the first time we record. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just find that I think people, and I'll piggyback right off what you said there, economist, is that they equate volatility with risk. And if, if that's risk for you, and this is risk if you have a short time frame for your investment, right? Like if you're well, like, I'm going to buy a house, I'm, I want to three years from now, then volatility is a big time risk for you. Yeah, right? Well, that's, there's timeline risk, right? There's 
if I need money in five years, that money has a very different risk profile than money I need in 30 years. I mean, when was the last time somebody invested 100% in stocks in an index fund that didn't touch it for 30 years lost money? Was there a period? I'm going I haven't on a, read of one. I'm going out on a limb and saying it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. You didn't look that up since the last time we were talking about this. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> It's, it's we just assume it hasn't happened because it's so unlikely. But it's, yeah. I, I mean, it's so unlikely it's probably not worth considering as a risk. I mean, it's worth knowing about as a risk, but not necessarily adjusting for. Yeah, make a good point there. And I think that if, it's, if you're globally diversified, the chances of finding that from a globally diversified market over the last century are very slim, right? There's yeah, definitely right. pockets. I mean, we know Japan's an example. We know there's the lost decade. You know, there's things like that. There are abnormalities for sure. But, you know, we, I think as a show or as the FI kind of community advocate for a globally diversified passive index portfolio. We don't always talk about that on the show because we like exploring other options. And that's what we're going to get into a little bit as well on this show is the risk of the other options, right? But starting off with the one that everybody's familiar with is all these sort of index funds and, and yeah. investing. And I, I see it a lot. And I'm not saying that choosing VBAL is a bad decision. Please don't get me wrong, listeners, that if that's what your choice is for your set of circumstances, that's 100% fine. This isn't like a competition of you're only in it to win it if you're all equities. That's not what we're saying at all here. It's about understanding why you've made that choice. I think for me personally, that's the important part of this. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you assess the risk of having an all equity portfolio and it's not the actual risk of losing money, it's the risk that you know yourself and you will sell if that tanks then yes, that is a significant risk. And if you're not, if you know yourself well enough to know that, then something less volatile is probably the right option for you. Totally. Now the flip side of that too is, is maybe you got to have a look at your time horizon and where you want to be and what you want to assume your rate of return is going to be, right? Like everybody likes to throw around the six to 8% number. Well, that's a pretty heavily equity-based portfolio. Like maybe we're talking Vigro style, you're going to get that, right? But if you're in a bowel or a conservative, you need to accept that you're at the risk of not getting enough returns for your expectations. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think we talked about this last time. <laughs> um, what, on the investment analysis show? No, no, on the, on the lost episode. But that's why we're um, talking about it now, because this is the exactly. episode. <laughs> but I think you were trying to get somebody... To go further into it, I think the accountant was saying, you know, if you want to invest in GICs, well, your risk is that you won't accumulate enough money to get to retirement. Yeah. And that's a very real risk at today's rates for GICs. You are just not going to generate enough. Yeah. Your saving rate would have to be, you know, a lot higher than we want our saving rates to be. Well, you're going to have to have a, I mean, you'd have to have a 50% savings rate for 30 years or more. Yeah. So it's, it's fair to say that the least amount of risk or the lowest risk investments you make will also, and I shouldn't say unequivocally, but will generally be the lowest returns. That comes back to the whole risk and being compensated appropriately for risk, which should also be part of your investment analysis is you look at an investment, you analyze what the riskiness is, 
And if you can get 6% in a GIC or 6% lending to the mob down the street, I'm going to say that the GIC is probably less risky and you should probably at the same rate of return, choose the less risky investment. Risk comes with liquidity too. I know I don't want to repeat everything we talked about in the analyzing investment show, but there's risk in the liquidity of your investment too, right? Yeah. I mean, the more illiquid it is, the riskier it is because the harder it is to get your money back out. The more illiquid it is. Sorry, illiquid is the correct way of putting that. Yes. And and that was one of the things that that I've shared with you guys before is that, you know, I used one of the green bonds that locks me in for six years. So, you know, you look at it and I know it's a private bond, so there's risk in that. The 5% return I felt was worth it because it pays a higher return rate than um, another sort of basic government bond that I could be in. But six years is a long time to be without that money. And there's some risk in the opportunity cost of that money in that time. And not, not only that, but the risk of that bond making it all the way to maturity. Yeah. Right. So it looked like a less risky investment, but it has other inherent risk built into it that I need to take into account. And if interest rates had skyrocketed since you bought it, it doesn't look you, good anymore. Well, that's, right. I mean, the longer payback time till you can access your cash, the more things that can go wrong, therefore, the greater risk that is going to be inherent with that. So, how do you know what your risk profile or your risk tolerance is? How do you know? How do you know, economist, what yours is? Uh, that's too hard a question. <laughs> well, his is infinite, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, are you willing to go take your paycheck and put it on black? Yeah, well, I'm, I don't know if we want to get into the whole speculation or gambling side of things, but this is a real discussion that some that you need to have with yourself, I think. I think that's the hard part is we're really bad at discussions with ourselves because mm-hmm. we, we overestimate our knowledge, right? And we probably underestimate our ability to take risk or maybe we overestimate. I think maybe they, it goes both ways depending on your personality, right? You're like, oh, I can totally do that. I mean, a lot of the financial community equates uh, risk with your, you know, like human capital, how many working years you have left. Because if you've got a long career ahead of you or potential career ahead of you, you should be able to take more risks, right? And that is, to me, the basis of the whole argument between having equity and bond allocations, right? If you've got a lot of human capital that you can earn a lot of money, you should be taking higher risk, higher return investments at the beginning. Absolutely. And the lower risk ones at the end, right? That, that's the whole principle of this. I think, unfortunately, at the beginning, when, when we as a group are uneducated as investors, we're fearful of the markets, we're fearful of that, so we assume a lower risk. So how do we know ourselves to be able to make the right choice? Now, see, I think at the start, though, you also don't know how you can actually handle the risk until shit hits the fan. Mm -hmm. So maybe you should be a little less volatile to start with until you hit some bad time. I mean, what if your first 10 years of investing were the 10-year bull market? Yep. And you think this is the easiest thing in the world, I'll be completely fine, and then you get a crash you sell everything at a huge loss and you didn't just hold to where the market's back today where it was a year ago. There's lots of people that are fire right now because they just got a 10-year bull run. Right? 
we've got a whole bunch of people who, I mean, if you've been investing for less than 10 years, this coronavirus shock was the first hiccup you've really seen. I mean, what I think it was December of 2018, there was a, a 10, 15% pullback maybe, but maybe it rebounded 10, yeah. pretty quick. I mean, you really haven't seen any hardship since the 08, 09 financial crisis. Yeah. So how do you, how do you know? Like, well, this is what, it could, what I well, keep coming back to. Yeah. I mean, you asked the question, how do you know your own risk? And I think it, it's a hard question because the only thing we can really know is that we're probably going to get our risk tolerance wrong if we try to put a value to it. I think it needs to be an adjustable, like a sliding scale. Think of it like as a sliding one to 10 type thing, right? Yeah. I don't think you start at 10 and you don't start at one, but if you start at five, you may never know because you're kind of just sitting on the fence there, right? You're kind of like, well, I guess this is pretty good then. Nothing's too <laughs> crazy for me. So I'm, I guess I'm a VDAL kind of guy. <sighs> you know, what, where on your journey did you decide to either ramp it up or ramp it down? Because for me, Personally, I think I started near the middle or low end. Like I think I went VBAL not because I had any, and this was before VBAL existed, but not right. because I had any like real education or understanding of why. Other than I was just like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be super conversant, and I, I don't want to be super aggressive. So obviously, I'm going to be <laughs> sitting the fence in the middle, right? Like it just, plus, it just, it makes sense. Plus, you filled out your know your client, and they put you there. Yeah, exactly. But not, <laughs> yeah, there but, you go. But now I now I game those questionnaires, right? And I, like when I signed up for Well Simple for our experiment a couple of years ago, I'm like, great! I got ninety ten and Well Simple. They don't even offer that, but I gamed, <laughs> I gamed their know your client thing because I know what they're asking. Yeah, <laughs> but it took a lot of it took time and education to get to the comfort level. And I'm not saying that I'm super. Uh, I don't have a super ability to tolerate risk because I because I think inherently through my job and my career and my life is I've learned to mitigate risks and have backup plans and strategies. And, and I think that's the important part about understanding risk. Well, I, and I mean, that's a lot of it too, is how good is your, your fallback strategy? How good is your emergency plan? You can take more risk if you have multiple streams of income and more ways out. And if you've only got five grand to invest, it's a real terrible idea to put it in something high risk. You already have a $500,000 portfolio and you got another 10 grand to go kick into something a little higher risk. It's a way different equation, right? Well, I don't agree with that. I mean, if you're young, if you just saved your first 5,000 and you want to put it in the riskiest thing you can find, I'm okay with that as long as you understand what you're doing. So you're saying take your first five grand and throw it into penny stocks. Why not? You got the most time to make up for your mistakes after you earn your first five grand. That's what everyone's doing on Robinhood. That is what everyone's doing on Robinhood. You do have a point. True story, right? Like day trading with zero commissions, right? It, yeah. Like what's more popular now than ever before is like the day trading with zero commissions or options trading. Like we talked about that. That poor guy hey, that, don't you hate on options trading? I'm not hating on options trading. You don't, you don't need to stand on the options soapbox all the time. <laughs> it's high That's risk. Right. Of course if, it is. If you don't know what you're doing. It's high risk, but there's also risk mitigation strategies with options. Totally. So this actually, I think this episode is better than the first one because we're actually getting into more of the personal discussion than we did before, <laughs> right? And it's like understanding risk. It's, and okay, we talked about this as well is that you have a risk profile, but it can change. 
it's you weren't born with your level of risk. Well, it should change. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, well, okay, you have a tendency, right? Okay, yes, yeah. Okay, like you have a natural tendency, but you can be nurtured, right? Nature versus nurture. You could be nurtured to be accepting and to understand the risk. Yeah, to educate if- yourself about what the risk means at your your time in your life. Time in life and stage of wealth. Like I know a lot of very wealthy people that they don't take any more risks because they've made to. it. Why right? would they, you? They've, they've made it. Why would you keep going? You know, you have $10 million in the bank and you're very happy with your lifestyle. Isn't just capital preservation all you care about? You don't need to make any more money. You're set. Perfect segue. What? It's like the accountant <laughs> set oh. me up for this one. Why do I do these things? <laughs> it's way more fun when it's in person. You can throw beer at each other. Yeah, I would be right now. <laughs> no, no, that's a great segue because that totally begs the question is if you're on the path to FI or you're getting close or whatever it is, why would you ever use leverage to invest? We, hopefully, we can all agree that using leverage adds a dimension of risk. Right. But if you're on the path to FI at the beginning of the path, that you would use it to shorten your path. Yeah. But do people do that? Well, anybody who buys a house does. <laughs> okay. Anybody that buys a house does. Yeah. Everybody that buys real estate does. Yeah. But Smith Maneuver. Smith. Yeah. Okay. Well, they've already got the house. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> they've, got, they've got, they've already leveraged. They're keeping yeah. the leverage. They're yeah. keeping and, the leverage. No, no. I'm talking about maybe further down the road is you've got, yeah. And you know where I'm going with this, right? Is you've right. got, say you've got six, say you've got 70% of your home paid off. What's the rush to pay off the other, I said 70%, right? The other 30%, when you can leverage that to make you more money, are you willing to add that risk? Or should you, because you're on the path to FI, not take that more risk? Go account. You've had your hand up. No, it's less than a minute. We need to start a new recording. (laughs) (laughs) You dumbass. Okay. (laughs) Because my computer freezes every time that we just the recording just shuts off and then it takes forever. Yeah. So (laughs) annoying. So uh, thank you, Zoom, for the free recording session that we just ran out of and we're back. (laughs) I guess this is where the beer fridge noise comes in. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's get back on track here. We're we're good. I I will rebuttal now after uh, you being annoying to me. Go, go Uh, give her. (laughs) I, I was actually going to say that I think the further you get down and the more wealth you build, if you are going to stop working, depending on what your income streams look like, deleveraging is something you should reasonably at least assess or consider. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And, and one of the reasons that I am using leverage, but okay, this is where I come back to people that are aiming for early like fire or they're early in their but they still have human capital. I think that's the key for me, right? Is I could still go to work if I have to. So using the opportunity to to make that, to take the risk, to get that leverage working, to make more money now, I'm okay with that because if I have a hiccup, if the worst case scenario happens, I've got the time to make it back up by going back to work, right? Like it's right. it's we've talked about that in this in fires before. It's like your worst case scenario is going back to work. That's something else we talked about was uh, that if you're okay taking risks in investing and taking on leverage, well, maybe you should consider how willing you are taking on the risk of retiring early and 
being potentially faced with going, having to go back to work if, if the market doesn't cooperate. Right. Yeah. You know, rather than wait till your, your 4% number kicks in, you know, lots of people can get there on five or six or seven, depending on timing. Yeah. And I think this is another risk that a lot of younger people probably don't realize is that say you've got your million dollar portfolio and you've got a $500,000 house with a $200,000 mortgage and you stop working. When you go to renew that mortgage, the bank does not care that you have a million dollars in liquid assets. You don't have an income stream. Your debt service ratios don't work and you are going to get a garbage mortgage if you get one at all. Yeah. Interesting. So there are factors that go along with leverage that leverage is a lot harder to get when you're not working and it's something you need to consider. Yeah, that's a super good point. I think we brought that up before on a past episode too, is that you know if you're getting close to fire, if you still have a mortgage, planning to get HELOC in place or re-advanceable when you have solid T4 income is a smart move. You may end up having to, you know, pay 10 or 20 basis points more for your mortgage to have this whole re-advanceable set up, but FIU will thank you because now you've got that established. Oh, totally. And you might also just have to take the fact that if you're with CIBC and your local credit union down the road has a better rate when it becomes renewal time, if you don't have a job, you're probably taking the auto renewal at your bank with whatever rate they're going to hand you rather than going around and shopping because not a lot of people are going to want to sign you up for a new mortgage when you don't have income coming in. Yeah, that's probably something we should have talked about on the episode with um, Peter when we talked about the risks of fire. And I think we did bring that up about... I think we did mention it, but yeah, it's it's another thing just on the leverage tangent to, to consider. Yeah, I think risk is a pretty in-depth topic like we found we also found when we talked about trying to analyze investments it's such an in-depth topic that obviously is going to be very personal but there's there's like a whole show on each asset class that we could each, talk about and each individual risk probably has an hour-long discussion about <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that could be like the sub seasons like and if you need some help you get to sleep noise from the FI garage, tune in to The Economist, talk about the risk of making your own wine. <laughs> is that is that homebrew over there? No, uh, it's not homebrew, but the real risk is when you make your own schnapps, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a little... The, the bathtub, bathtub moonshine is probably your riskiest <laughs> yeah, project. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we we did talk about the risk that is what we want to undertake for higher returns. Accepting an index or a market-based return is is totally fine. We're not here to tell you it's not. But there are opportunities to make more returns on your investments. But how do you calculate those risks? How do you, how do you calculate them? How do you calculate your risk of owning additional properties and the amount of leverage you carry for yours accountant? I mean, I don't consider the properties all that high risk, to be honest with you. You're in Victoria. He's never yeah. faced a housing bubble. He's never I, faced a housing I, bubble. I haven't faced a housing bubble. Or vacancy. Never faced max vacancy. I mean... You can't ignore these as risks, though. They've happened in other parts of the world. We're not immune. <sighs> I know. 
We probably I, are. It's it's snowing somewhere else in Canada. It's, it's not snowing here. somewhere else in Canada. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, listen, I, I'll say sure, probably Victoria, Vancouver, you could see house prices drop. But do I really see enough people not want to live here that I can't even find a tenant to cover my mortgage? I take the risk of that happening to be so fractionally low that I just don't even consider it. Mm-hmm. That's totally fair to acknowledge a risk exists and place a, you know, minuscule uh, percent of chance next to it. Yeah. Well, and then the other factor is how long would that exist for? I mean, I keep a very healthy emergency fund for being able right. to pay my mortgage and cover costs on the houses. So you'd be facing a cash emergency flow risk. plan. Yeah, oh, I can see yeah. you over there. You know. oh, oh, good. Oh, good. Because I was just about to get into you for emergency fund. <laughs> it's not actually funds. It is available funds. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, but, that's, uh, it's a cash flow risk then you're saying. Yeah. Not necessarily a risk of, you know, permanent market decline, which yeah. is probably true. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I should have rephrased my line of thinking because clearly that it doesn't always work between all of us that I, I get my line of thinking right, but that's probably on me. No, I was thinking is if you've developed your FI strategy to be a cash flow strategy, not an asset-based strategy, then you need to take into account the risks to that cash flow. And if you're holding properties, vacancy, um, things like that are potential risks to your cash flow. Whereas if you're an asset-based model, then you're looking more at sequence of return risks or market risks or things like that. So I was just trying to identify that you know your tro- chosen strategy with cash flow is is fantastic and it works. And I know you've done all the risk mitigation for it, but it's again coming down to understanding the different risks that there are, and either you know you you write them out and you say I've I've got a fund to cover that, I've got a plan to cover that. And, and I can ride it out for the long term. Or that, that's perfect. That's exactly what we're trying to say to people is make sure you do that diligence and figure that out for any risk in anything that you want to take, right? Well, and I'll argue with you a little there too is because there's that's great and that's all well and good, but there's also what you don't know you don't know. And there's nothing you can do about that. Single biggest risk ever, right? There is something you can do. Acknowledge it like you just did. I guess that's true. And yeah, except that you know, sometimes things just aren't going to go your way. And, you know, it, there's always hindsight of, oh, I maybe I should have thought about that. But there's so many things that we just don't know that we're unaware of. You got to, that's, that's when you just kind of have to live with every day as a human being anyway. So, yeah. I think you've said before that, you know, when you bought a property, you had a slush fund just because you didn't know what you might face, right? Yeah. So you have, acknowledge that you don't know what you don't know and you allow for it. Yeah. And I mean, that's a common thing when you go into big, like if you go into construction projects or renovations, right? Like you need to have a kicker in the budget for who knows what's behind that wall. I don't know. I don't know what even could be behind there. So we'll find out. Hey, economist. Yeah. Personal question. Sure. (laughs) I've known you for 10 years now. Okay. Give or take. Math's pretty close. (laughs) Since I've known you, this isn't personal. It's just a broader question. Has your risk tolerance or risk appetite changed in that time? No. I'm okay. a, I've been 100%. <laughs> I haven't come off 100%. <laughs> it's, the needle is pegged, bofo. <laughs> 
okay. we are redlining RPMs. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny because I didn't think I was going to get that answer. Oh, really? No. Yeah. Def- okay. Definitely not changed yet. I, I expect it to change. Okay. Okay. But uh, not yet. I expect, you know, I like the accountant said, or actually you said it too, as I approach the number, I'll deleverage my investments. But I guess I, I just change my risk because I'd retire early and, and go with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or not necessarily retire, but change, stop the nine to five. And if I have to go back, then I have to go back. So I just yeah. reallocate my risk to somewhere else. Yeah. No, that's totally fair, right? And yeah, I I guess I feel like I've had an ebb and flow. Is like I felt like I was really high risk. I made dumb decisions that kind of, you know, I was like, ooh, maybe I'm not as skilled and <laughs> able to take <laughs> risks as I could. And then I kind of went down and I was like, okay, as I learned more, I was like, okay, I'm much more comfortable with what I'm investing in and where I'm going with all the rest of it. And I, I feel like I'm building up and I'm getting more risk tolerant, which again, I think will switch the further into Coast Fi I get, right? Where it's like you said, it's like, well, if I don't need to start, if I don't need to do private loans, why would I do private loans? There's additional risk there, right? So uh, I've had a bit more of a roller coaster journey. What about you, accountant? Yeah, I would say it more depends on my financial needs at the time or it has over the years. But I definitely would say that the larger my asset base grows, the more of them I want protected. But at the same time, I also like playing in some very high risk and stupid things. But that that's just an allocated part of my portfolio that's never going away, but it's because I enjoy it. I think that's a great point to end on is that have your base, have like your core holdings, your core portfolio, that's your long-term wealth building. And if you're a person that feels the need to dabble whether it's in you know we don't we're not even going to give you any suggestions of what to dabble in because you've probably heard it before and tom teens <laughs> i knew tom it I, I knew every show <laughs> how do i not make money from this bet you guys have where it's like <laughs> brutal i should you know what i should have talked to judy about tom teens before we even got to this part of the episode <laughs> yeah that, that was your only shot that was it <laughs> No, but you know, if you wanna, if you wanna play, if you can, and you know, I'll come back to what my grandfather told me a long, long time ago: never gamble with what you can't afford to lose. Yep, and that's right. If you wanna take high risk, high bet, high return, be prepared to lose it. Right? So. They don't call it gambling for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just to wrap up, please check out the Biscowan Inn. And thank you again to Judy and her lovely husband and their beautiful inn in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. It is amazing. And somebody may be living out their FI dream by geo-arbitraging to the beautiful East Coast of Canada and picking up that inn for a great price. And when we're ready to have people back there, what a cool place to hang out, boys. Cross-country cross road trip. I'm in. It's pretty cool. Let's do I'm it. In. Yeah. yeah, so uh, here we are, first sponsored episode, which is pretty fantastic. So that is a huge thank you. Yeah, thanks, Judy. Yeah, and to all the listeners that make the show possible just by tuning in and putting up with our banter and giving us show ideas, it is much appreciated. Just another shout out to uh, the beverage I did find in Victoria. So you Victoria liquor stores, you're not covering Canada enough. I'm having to import my own Canadian beer, but two crows. Uh, one thing I will say about the dry hopped wit beer 
is personally, it's not my flavor. I like a whip beer to be a whip beer, and I like my hopped beer to be in IPAs. I would tell you my opinion on it if you had bought us one. Hey, <laughs> it's it's something to look forward to. Yeah. I could I couldn't afford the risk of coming by your house. Clever. Fair enough. You like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? The next episode is going to be super exciting because we're talking to our first ever interview guest on the FI Garage. So don't spell who what? it is. Yeah. Oh, you, 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 the, the, uh, yeah. Uh, oh. We'll catch you next time on the FI Garage. Until next time. Good night.